Welcome back to Presentation Thinking, a podcast, aka the Storyteller Study Club. I'm your host, co-host, Mikey Maduski, a founder of a presentation design agency called Ghost Ranch Communications. And I'm joined by my better half in storytelling, Molly Gagan. How's it going? Wow. Such flattery. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm the content and community manager for Presentation Thinking. And we're really excited for today. It's a Friday, end of day. And who do we have on the cast, Mikey? Yeah, we we have a real-life product marketing manager named Rukma Sen, who I actually got to go see the Product Marketing Summit out in San Francisco in, I think, September, October last year. And I get to go check these things out. And I'm always fascinated by not only what product marketers are saying, but maybe how they're saying it. And I think both worlds collided when I saw someone who could just like really own the stage, was super engaging and seemed to care a lot about storytelling. And so Rukma, I, I think we approached you afterward and said, would you like to nerd out and, and come talk about presentations and stuff on a, on a podcast? And so thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thank you, Mikey. Um, First of all, that was such a lovely introduction. I really appreciate that. I feel very flattered as well, Molly, <laughs> to your earlier point. Uh, yes, I think we didn't get to catch up in person at the PMA Summit, but we were able to catch up later. And when you mentioned you wanted me to come talk about probably the greatest love of my life. I'm not sure how my husband feels about that. We'll, <laughs> we'll find out, but <laughs> definitely the second greatest love of my life, um, which is stories and how people tell them and how they use them to get connected. Oh, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And so tell us first, I suppose, what it is that you do for a living and kind of your, yeah, what your day-to-day -day looks like. And then we, I want to back up and get into like, falling in love with storytelling. <laughs> For sure. So, you know, when we were talking a little bit about what your listeners might be interested in, and you mentioned who is Rukma, that made me think, I was like, wow, that's, that's a huge question. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't think I can, I have an answer to, to who I am, but I can tell it's you a little bit about, <laughs> right. Um, I can tell you a little bit maybe about who I am right now. So right now I am a product marketer, as Mikey mentioned, um, but that's just kind of my work. Identity storytelling is something that permeates, I, I would say, all parts of my life. So I am also a writer. I love reading. Books are probably my greatest extravagance and also my like complete obsession. Don't love ask that. me how many books I have. <laughs> oh, no. I oh, I'm not definitely you have to wait till the end. Yeah. <laughs> I live in the Bay Area here with my husband, and I love to cook, read, as I mentioned. As we were talking about, the weather here is really lovely most of the year, so I love going on hikes. That's a little bit of kind of who I am outside of work. Um, at work, as you know, I work at Google right now, where I spend kind of a lot of time searching for and collecting, and then also creatively kind of telling the stories, not only of our customers and our partners, but also of our products. You might think, and some of your listeners might think that an enterprise software product doesn't really have a story. You know, Rukma, you're using this term in this very oversold way of everything is a story. But I truly believe that anything that interacts with human beings, whether that's a concept, an idea, like facts, um, and definitely object, tell stories because that's how humans understand the world, in my opinion. Just like think about the amount of time like you and I spend 
with our smartphones. We're always touching them, we're tapping them, hold them super close to our bodies. And they elicit feelings for us. Like when I open up my phone on a Monday morning, it has like very different feelings than when I'm opening up my phone um, after maybe a hard day's work and shh, maybe I'm scrolling TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> I won't tell. <laughs> secret uh, so what does it feel like when you open up that like lid of your laptop is it anticipation is it shame that you didn't prepare for the big meeting on time maybe it's like pride that you're using it to create and deliver things that like are really important to you and to your job um so i, I believe that if there's a person there's a story and so i really think that the work i'm doing here at google and just my work as a product marketer has a lot to do with finding the stories in those intersections between product and people and just like kind of gently coaxing them to bloom and come to life. That's who I am. Wow. Rupa, we might actually just be able to stop the interview there because that was just <laughs> yeah. so full of amazing yeah. <laughs> quotable insights yeah. about connecting, yes, yeah, stories with what you do and yeah. And your personal passion for reading and writing is, I think I really relate to that. I'm just excited. Yeah. Um, okay. So on the journey to Google as a PMM, as they call it, right? This is the product marketing manager acronym for those that don't know. But yeah, what was your, yeah, what did you study? What was your background? And did you always think that you were going to be a product marketing manager at Google? Uh, yeah, when I was five years old and they asked me, where did <laughs> yeah, you want exactly. to be? Yeah. No. So when I was five years old, I thought, I would be um, a writer because that's how I thought I would tell my stories. I am a writer. I have yet to publish anything, but I like to claim that identity because I do it all the time. I'm writing all the time, but that doesn't necessarily pay my bills. Um, so I, surprise, surprise, majored in English literature at Stanford. That was my undergrad degree. Again, not only because I'm interested in telling stories, but because I also feel there's a lot of value to finding stories and analyzing them. And so I wanted to just like spend time steeped in story structure, in what the shapes of these like great narratives that endure for years and years are, in understanding how to kind of put characters and places together in ways that elicit conflict, that elicit drama, um, and sometimes can also bring out things that are just kind of profound truths about the human condition. So majored in English, and then I decided to go or get a tech startup, as one does after majoring in English. Um, <laughs> clearly, uh, every English major does this. No, but uh, the reason I wanted to go kind of work at a tech startup is I was as I said, I was really interested in stories, but I wanted to see how I could take these kind of academic, just purely out of curiosity learnings that I had pursued in my major and my degree and take them out into the world and use them to form relationships with people, to tell stories that would benefit people, stories of products, maybe stories of organizations. Um, and I really wanted to get that kind of practical feedback loop of going out there, trying things out and seeing how it works. And so that's kind of why I chose to um, go from being an English major to joining a tech startup where I started as an account manager, which I loved because it's a, it's a purely relationship-based job. Um, and I get a real kick like out of building new relationships. It's sort of like super fascinating. I think most people are kind of collections of stories, books, if you will. Um, and it's kind of a fun 
interesting game for me to be able to to read them and to share my stories in return. But given my strong interest in the more kind of traditional ways we think about storytelling, I gravitated towards marketing. And when the startup was ready for for marketing to add value, which doesn't always happen at the earliest stages of a startup, but sort of when we hit product market fit and it's time to start telling the story of what this organization is, what the vision is, what is it built for whom I was able to grow into leading a team of growth and content marketers and eventually had a team of nine people. We tackled some super exciting projects like branding, building kind of a blog from the ground up, creating growth marketing funnel um, and all of that kind of exciting, fun growth stage startup stuff. That being said, that startup was running at breakneck pace. I (laughs) just, it was so much work and so fast. And I just didn't want to get caught up in like a flood or a tide. I wanted to kind of take a step back, like kind of really evaluate where I was professionally and decide, okay, what do I want to do next? So I took two years off to party, also called going to business school by some, really (laughs) two years off to party. That's the way I like to think about it. Um, And in business school, other than partying, I kind of honed in that within marketing, I like being closest to the product. I like being as close to kind of the nerdy engineering stuff as I can without actually getting into coding. I would be not very good at coding. I think details and detail orientation are not my top skills, but I do enjoy kind of seeing the magic of technology and what it can enable really closely and then taking that and translating it into things people can connect with, things that excite people, things that intrigue people and all these things that I just spoke about are, of course, stories of of different types. So I interned as a PMM. I then joined Microsoft. I interned at VMware as a PMM. Then I joined Microsoft as a PMM. And then now I'm at Google also as a PMM. I love my function. I think never say never. And I'm also always curious to explore new things, but I think it's, it's a great fit for me. I don't, I don't Mm -hmm. see myself moving out of being a product marketer anytime soon. Yeah. It seems like you've had some consistency with it. Yeah. I've heard of those companies too. Microsoft, VMware, Google. <laughs> yeah, kind of tech yeah. in the in the startup realm for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay, so I wish I had. Well, I'll just say this: business school sounds fun for that reason. Yeah, and especially if you enjoy <laughs> inside the getting, classroom. Yeah, yeah, meeting new people. The academics aren't you know the focus, but you get to yeah hang out, meet people, network. So then you get as close as possible to the product at some of these places, and you have this background in storytelling and a, a passion for it. And English, you know, English literature and writing. I think that's why your talk stood out to me in San Francisco. And maybe it's one that we can, I'd love to hear how you came up with this topic and if it's a presentation you've given before, but I believe it was called how to talk like humans or why it's important, (laughs) why it's hard to do. But I imagine the closer you get to product, maybe the more you saw that it was hard for people to talk about that product in a, in a human way. Is that sort of how you, how, how did you stumble into that? topic and why were you like dying to to get that out into the world yeah i so that's a great question and your intuition is exactly right the reason that topic suggested itself to me was because um it's just an issue that's come up so many times um as a product marketer for 
pretty much any launch for any feature or product that I've worked on, um, it's really the first kind of blocker or issue that pops up, which is how do you get to the real story in a way that sounds human and not like a robot corporate speak, you know? So how it happened is the PMA folks, the Product Marketing Alliance folks reached out and asked me if I was interested in delivering a a talk. And I spoke with one of their organizers and I was like, well, you know, here are some potential things that I'm interested in and could talk about. And she just jumped onto this rose. She she was like, this is great. Our listeners would love to hear from you on this. Um, it's like a valid problem that I've heard a lot about and you should talk about this. And I loved that response because I had suggested a couple other things, but this was the one I was really excited about. And so that's kind of where that talk came from. It was, I forget now the exact title, but you're right, Mikey, that the point of it was to try to get enterprise product marketers, especially to to talk like human beings and not corpse speak robots. It was great. And I, I got to compliment you. Your gift game was strong. I, it was, um, I think there was a lot of laughs in the room and yeah, you, you pulled out the perfect memes at the perfect time. So Molly, you would have, you would have loved this I do love, presentation. I do love a little internet pop culture thrown in yeah. presentations. <laughs> so it was like, there was good, I thought it was like one of those good examples of like theory for sure, but then actual tactics and like things that you could actually apply like today to change the way that you approach things such as, you know, I think you asked a couple things like a test. I, I think you called it, did you call it the smart high school freshman exercise? Something like read, <laughs> yeah. read it out loud, I think was one of them that I wrote down. And then you also had this really cool 5Y framework that I think you brought up. So yeah, do you remember going into any of those and would you care to share? For sure. Well, first of all, thanks for saying that. I was a little concerned when they scheduled me at 5 p.m. And I think I was the last speaker after a day full of like great insights. And so I wanted to like get people moving, talking and like engaged. And so that's part of the reason I pulled out a lot of those in-person kind of hashtag IRL exercises. So. The things I went through in my presentation were that 5Y discovery framework that you just mentioned, Mikey, and we talked a little bit kind of about communication best practices with these exercises around explain it like I'm an educated high school student. You know, then there was an exercise where we kind of talked about like, okay, what story are you telling? Why does it matter? And let's like work through that. I think we ran out. I could be wrong, but I think we ran out of time. Couldn't get through all of it, but I'm happy to to dive in. So should we should we chat about that 5Y first or should we t- talk yeah. about the high schooler exercise first? Oh, I'll, whatever order it is in the presentation is how, is oh, how yeah, we true. should go through it, I think. <laughs> oh, awesome. Okay. Um, cool. So the first thing I think in the presentation was actually that discovery framework. So the five why framework, if you Google it, or if you bring it up to most people, they'll recognize it as a tool for root cause analysis. So in our operations class, in, in my two years of partying degree, uh, <laughs> they brought it up and I was like, oh, very interesting. And the context is completely different from communications. It's when there's an issue or a problem that's, say, like halting all the production at a factory, 
how do you figure out what's going on? You try to do this quote unquote root cause analysis of like this part broke. Well, why did it break? Because we were moving the line too fast. Why were we doing that? And you get the idea, so on and so forth until you figure out what exactly is actually going wrong at a design or systems level and fix that. I realized the need for this actually at my internship at VMware that I was mentioning, where I was in charge of this feature launch. So I'm like, great feature launch. Awesome. What's the feature? And my product manager says, well, you know, now we have support for L5. It's now generally available. It's like, Okay, L5 support. Okay, great. Why is that good? And then he's like, well, you know, it's it's better than L4. That's what we had earlier. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, why is it better than L4? And then we went through like a series of these, like kind of why is this better than this? Why is it good for the customer's questions? Where I was asking these and trying to kind of find the story behind the words that he was saying. And then eventually turned out that L5 support being generally available meant that our service that we were providing was more reliable. And so therefore, if there were a lot of users trying to use a service built on top of our technology, there would be fewer incidences of outages or there being too much load on that particular product which is great. Like that's actually a really good thing for customers. They want that. What they don't necessarily know they want though is L5 support, which is better than L4. And is this like a tech service, like a IT support thing, right? Yeah. So, okay. so when he said we are now supporting L5, it basically meant that now our product is capable of handling more queries, more okay. activity, more user interaction, Can essentially, more. In, in people speak. Yeah, thank <laughs> but, you for that, yeah, plain terms. <laughs> but that was, so, but this is such a great example of like why you need to translate from like tech speak or corp speak to people speak, because when you say L5 support now generally available, no one knows what that means. And if they don't know what that means, then they don't know if they should care about it. They don't know if it matters to them. They're like, oh, great. This person said this thing. Cool. Out of here. Right. right. So that's kind of where I realized that when you're trying to find the story of your product launch, um, a lot of it is about digging deeper and deeper. <clears throat> it's almost like a story lasagna. I don't know if that's a weird oh, metaphor. Yeah. Maybe oh, it I is. <laughs> We're going to go illustrate that now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it really feels like that to me, that you have to keep pushing until you get to, quote unquote, what I was calling earlier, people speak. Mm -hmm. And a good litmus test for have I reached people speak yet is the exercise I was mentioning to Mikey. Go grab like a colleague, a friend, anyone, your partner, whoever that doesn't know about this product. It cannot be an engineer or a product manager or a customer, a support person that's super involved in the product. This should just be someone who is, you know, smart, educated, understands in general, you know, kind of the context you're in, but isn't super tied up in this product and try it out on them. Say, oh, hey, you know, um, we're going to launch L5 support, which is going to make it easier for your apps to be stable, to be supported and to support more user interaction. And then if they're like, uh-huh, cool, like that makes sense. Like they maybe they ask you a question in response, like, 
they get it. You're good. If they look at you like, what are you saying? Then maybe it's time to like keep going through the layers of that lasagna. So that's sort of where the discovery framework came from. And now in my product launches, I've kind of made it like a part of a checklist process where I'll create what I call a launch brief template and have my product managers or engineers fill it out where we try to go through this. And no template's going to take the place of an actual conversation. So that's just a starter. And then I take it into the one-on-one and, and try to work through it and get to a place where it's like, okay, this is the story. I feel I feel like a detective almost sometimes. It's like, okay, I'm like trying to figure out there is a story here. I can see like glimmers of it. Let's try to like pull it out. Oh, totally, <laughs> totally. It is, it's getting to the, we talk about getting to the core all the time. Mm-hmm. And yada, yada, Shrek said onions have layers, but Rukmasen <laughs> said that stories are lasagna. And I like that. <laughs> I like that even better. So... <laughs> That's really cool. It's such a good metaphor. And I think that's such a useful thing. Like in our own space, like you have to get someone else's fresh eyes outside of it. If they can't understand the story and the why behind it, then like you need to get a little deeper, a little do something a little different, I guess. Right. And I I think I remember you saying like you never, you almost never stop trying to clarify. (laughs) Like there's no such thing as like too much clarity. And so that really stood out to me. And yeah, you can just keep going, right? You can always always try to distill it down a little bit, a little bit easier to understand such that what's the thing that Molly tells someone else, right? Like if it's down to that core, then it is, it's that Heath brothers, like stickiness, right? That that we want to aspire to in a message. And that's something I'm curious. We've asked people before on like with, within the presentation thinking context, what's the one thing people can be doing to make their presentations better. And I'm curious for your storytelling lens here. What's What do you think the biggest challenge or obstacle is for folks that are trying to tell their story better or get to that like core messaging? And maybe they're like, they've got too many words. They've still got a lot of different things floating around. Like what is, what's, what's the common problem you see that gets in the way? So I'll give you an answer to this on two levels. So tactical level, like very hands-on. I think the biggest problem that enterprise product marketers like myself have is too many long syllabled words that don't mean anything. Some examples of this are seamless integration, mm. empowering cloud services. What, what, what does that mean? Keep, yeah, I, keep I going. Know. <laughs> who, knows, who, knows, who knows what that means? No one knows what that means. Um, so very tactically, I would encourage my colleagues, and you know, I need a reminder of this all the time as well, to just go through copy, go through creative, go through all of the assets that you're sending out and check that you're not saying these gigantic multisyllabic <laughs> words that mean nothing. What does seamless mean? Seamless means something that has no edges. And someone described to me last week at work, because I, I work on Chrome OS, so we, we think about laptops. Someone described a laptop to me as seamless. I was like, is that a spherical laptop? Because how can a laptop be seamless? And so right. just test the words you're using actually makes sense. <laughs> what are you saying? So that's my kind of tactical thought on, on top obstacles. And then I think at a, at a higher kind of more strategic level, it's that we sometimes in B2B world, actually think that we're a business communicating to another business. Hmm. And that can't happen. There's, businesses can't talk. 
you're a human being talking to another human being. You both work for specific companies that have specific products and branding and voice and tone, but ultimately it's about forming that human connection through your words, through your communication. And if we keep that kind of front and center, top of mind, um, as we're thinking about a launch or a marketing strategy, that would, I think, behoove all of us. And again, definitely not immune to this. I definitely get into a groove where I'm like, yeah, 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 we can, you know, we're talking to these enterprises and we want them to save money. And it's like, sure, but maybe they affordability matters to this person because they're on the hook for showing cost savings. And then it comes down to that personal motivation of like, they want to perform their job well, they want to get a promotion, they want to feel good and proud of having done a good day's work. All human emotions that we can all connect with, human thoughts and kind of ways of seeing the world. Businesses are not people. That's kind of like my takeaway there. That's yeah. gold. Most of us forget that. And you, you, you have a good way with humans. Like for someone who is a writer, we wouldn't always assume that that person's comfortable in front of a room or like, I think even the day two, you were the MC and the moderator, right? And have you always been a comfortable, natural like speaker and curious how you got into that? And what about public speaking is exciting to you? So definitely not a natural. I love people that comes naturally to me like i love uh forming connections and just finding out about other people and uh what matters to them where they are coming from what's interesting and intriguing to them so that i was lucky enough i think to to be born really enjoying that but I think it's different when I'm standing up in front of a room and there's like a hundred people staring at me versus like the three of us on this recording here, just trying to like form a connection and vibe. So I believe I started public speaking when I was in eighth or ninth grade in in high school. (laughs) Um, And it was basically a way for me to connect with more people. So like I said, that's something that I care about a lot. And so I was like, oh, what if I went up on stage and instead of like talking to two people, I could talk about this thing I care about a lot. Spoiler alert, it was usually a book (laughs) to 100 (laughs) people. And that's kind of where I started. So I would just like go um, to, you know, like I went to high school in India and there would be all these like, quote unquote, what they used to call competitions, but it's basically like debate class or model United Nations where you like go up, they give you a topic or you can pick your own topic um, and just like chat about it to to a room of 50 to 100 people. (laughs) And that's that's how I started. And then I took a couple of classes in business school around communications that were pretty helpful as well. And now I, I have fun. I like Mikey, to your point, I like getting the room, having a a good time. Like I like creating connections the way I love creating, like having connections myself with other people. I like using my role as facilitator to be able to get people talking to each other, meeting other people. I often find at conferences, like you go by yourself and you're just like, Mm -hmm. I really want to make friends, but I feel awkward. (laughs) And so I like being able to say like, no, go talk to your neighbor about like your top business problem right now or whatever it is yeah and so now now i really enjoy it i think if you have listeners who are listening to this who are you know not 
that excited about taking the stage, which I hear public speaking is the top fear in America. One of my recommendations is just to start small. Like maybe you're already really good at talking to one person. Well, what about if you spoke to like three or four people? And then the second piece of this is ask. So we often, as human beings, I think, tend to make up stories in our head about, oh, if I like nerd out about communications, for example, for three hours, my uh, interlocutor, my listener is getting bored. Well, maybe they're not. Maybe this is something that they care about a lot too, and they're resonating with you and they're feeling a real sense of connection. So I feel very comfortable just asking, like, say something and then check in. Oh, hey, how did that land with you? Um, Hey, like, does this feel good? Should we go on? Or would you like a break? Hey, like, how is the room feeling? Do, do we want to stand up right now? Or are we feeling more like just sitting in our places and listening to what's going on? So ask for feedback would be like my second point. And I think that'll help gain confidence because usually the feedback is very much like, no, this is great. Let's keep going. And mm-hmm. very much not what you're imagining it will be, which is like, you're boring. I hate you. Go away. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't want to yeah. be friends with you. Right. 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 <laughs> And then I I would say the third thing is just this has less to do with communications and more to do with just like building your own internal sense of confidence. But I think if you really care about what you're speaking about, then you can take some of that internal spotlight off of do I appear weird? Do people think I'm strange for wearing these clothes or walking Mm -hmm. this way or having this voice and focus more on while I really care that my enterprise PMM colleagues should stop using very long words that mean nothing and like push the focus to that. So those are like some thoughts on maybe how some listeners could apply that. Yeah, I think that's something that, I mean, presenting can arrive in all sorts of roles, but I think it unexpectedly can fall into the PMM's lap. Am I am I correct in saying that? I don't know. And some people might be excited about it and be kind of natural storytellers and writers like yourself, but others are, yeah, it's in, that can be very intimidating. Bullet points are your friend, but also your enemy. You don't want to overuse them. And yeah, I'm curious for your like slides and your kind of strategy, what's what's your style for prepping like your your own personal presentations for Google? Yeah. So, I mean, I have different styles when I'm like delivering chat to my PMA colleagues versus if it's sure. like a business presentation yeah, to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, exact. So definitely context is super important. And I'm sure most of your listeners already know this, but within whatever context, I would say three things. So connection and clarity are the first two. And then the third one is start on paper. So I'll just go through that. Mm. Connection is just try to connect with whoever it is that's on the other side of the Zoom, other side of the table, other side of the stage. Again, they're humans, you're human. We're all wired to to want connection. And if they've showed up for your talk or if your execs have given you one hour of their super busy days, they're already here in the mood to listen to you. So capitalize on that, connect in, in kind of whatever way you can. Don't jump into just like rattling off facts or whatever it is. Try to build that relationship. Second is clarity. And we talked about this already, but as I said at PMA presentation, you really can't get too clear. That's not a thing. At any point, you're (laughs) probably less clear than you think you are because in, in your head, 
you're so close to the subject matter, everything's obvious, but everybody is not that close to the subject matter. So clarify, 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 distill. The kind of more brief you are, the better. And it also is a test of clarity. So only if you are super clear about a topic in your head can you get quite briefed after a couple of sentences. So definitely spend the time it needs to get to a place where it's just super clear, super short, and super obvious. Mm-hmm. And then finally, three is start on paper, which is not to say you need to write out your whole presentation on a piece of paper. What I mean by that is if you start with slides without starting with story, slides can have a tendency to kind of dictate the story structure or mm-hmm. the limitations or features sometimes of slideware can set the tone for what you're actually saying. And you don't want that. You want your slides to be a tool. You want them to support you. You want to be the one designing that story. You want to be the one figuring out what the sequence is, etc. So as much as possible, and I understand, you know, we're, we don't always have like endless amounts of time and slide templates, etc. can be helpful if we need them to be. But if it's really important, Start, I start usually with like um, an outline in a document. So I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to say. Then this is the evidence I'll provide. And then here's what I'll do to build a little bit of connection. Maybe a question, maybe a meme, maybe some kind of interactive poll. Um, and then I go from that outline then to slides. I kind of build slides last, honestly. I'll mm-hmm. edit the outline. I'll verify and test it for clarity. And then finally, I'll build slides in. And and once you have that outline, slide building is honestly just fun. It's like bringing all of those cool ideas to to life visually. And um, it becomes, to me at least, a lot less stressful and a lot more fun. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, let the story breathe the slides to life. Connect, clarify, and start on paper. Do you have 99 problems and your pitch is one? Air your grievances with GhostWrench Communications, your dedicated presentation design partner. GhostWrench Communications is well-stocked with specialized slide therapists who are trained in getting to the root of your most ailing sales enablement issues. Don't be ashamed to ask for help. GhostWrench brings your ideas to life one slide at a time. Reach out at ghostranch.com to learn more. We'd love to hear from you. I feel like there's a lot we can go into in the spice cabinet, which is... The fun final section of our podcast, Rukma, because <laughs> this was some gold right here. And I couldn't agree more. Like I've gotten so distracted. There's so many talks I want to give. And I always like get so distracted just jumping right into trying to build something in PowerPoint or Google Slides. And like, what the hell am I trying to say? <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it, it's, it makes so much sense to outline it and start on paper and then build the slides to support that once you feel good about the story. So big props there. Love yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. I know what I want to ask first in the spice cabinet, but Mikey, do you have any burning? You do you want no, to jump in front first. of me? You go first. Okay. Well, just while we're kind of on the subject with you as an experienced speaker, I am. I would love to ask: Do you have any funny or ridiculous stories? You know, embarrassing moments for yourself, funny stories with the audience, etc. Anything that falls into this category, you would like to share? <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess I'm not sure how how funny this is to everybody else, but it was pretty funny to me. So uh, one time in high school, I was doing this public speaking debate, etc. And I, I totally froze. I had my points 
already and I was like I'm gonna you know oh, defeat no. this like opponent and I'm so cool like I know <laughs> how to how to win blah 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 and I just froze and I don't usually freeze like I'm that's not uh, the usual reaction that happens yeah. to me and yeah I freeze and in my head I'm like wow I'm I'm blank and then I decide to just pull a random like fiction story that had nothing to do whatsoever with the, story, <laughs> with the topic and tell it because I had to I had to stand there for full five minutes and I was like what what am I supposed to do here um and so I just tell everybody this story about like uh these little or I don't know if this was a books a set of books in the US but we used to read these book series called the Animorphs where these teenage kids oh, yeah. turn into Oh yeah. Okay, cool. So you know what they are. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, great. I'm going to tell you the plot summary of the latest Animorph book I read. Oh my um, God. And of course I like placed last in that competition, but <laughs> I was like, you know what, whatever. I told you guys about how teenagers can turn into different animals, animals. and I think that's cool. <laughs> oh my god that's so hey good for you for like not running off the stage i was picturing like mia thermopolis in the princess diaries when she <laughs> just like gets sick in front of the whole class like oh. <laughs> runs out but nothing sets it up for an embarrassing moment quite better than high school in general yeah. but a high school debate stage yeah that's that's tough <laughs> it, so i mean there were certainly other embarrassing consequences i think <laughs> a lot of my uh friends and classmates who were there just like teased me about animorphs like for the whole rest of the whole <laughs> yeah, yeah. like i became uh, that girl who animorph girl <laughs> yeah That's hey good. there's worse associations it's not it's yeah. a cool this is a cool series <laughs> i like yeah so besides that presentation do you have any other like favorite presentations that you've seen or like yeah, speakers that you're just love. obsessed with oh yeah so my favorite speaker probably of all time is Michelle Obama. Oh. What I love about her is just how adaptable she is. So when she's mm. podcasting and she's in my years, I feel like, you know, this cool, older, like boss lady is giving me <laughs> advice when she's out mm. there, like speaking in her role as first lady. She's so inspirational. She can get a crowd like engaged and moving when she, you know, is kind of like having a conversation on a, a comedy show or like, you know, one of the talk shows. She's funny. She has so much presence, just so much authenticity. I adore Michelle yeah. Obama. Yeah. She has so many like flavors. I agree. It's cool. I listened to her book on audiobook and I really liked like, of course, it's her story written by her. And yeah, it felt like just like an older older sister kind of vibe, but driving right. around listening to it like in my car on a road trip. That's great. And then kind of similarly, we'd love to know, um, and we'll link this in the Spice Cabinet, any favorite books on like either the subject matter you work in or um, presentations that you'd recommend for people to also go look at and get inspired by? Yeah. So I think some of the resources I tend to go to again and again for communications and product marketing are Anne Hanley's Everybody Writes. Is, uh, you know, everybody probably knows this already. And I'm just telling people something they know, but it's such a great book for anyone who kind of writes as part of their job or honestly, like writes in any business context, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that one is really great. Wired for Story by Lisa Crone is a favorite for me because it kind of explains why 
storytelling and story structures work um she goes a lot into explaining like why do hum- like human beings get so affected by stories why why does it matter why do they have emotional reactions nonviolent communication is a book that's really interesting and that's yeah. less about presentation necessarily but more about like relationships and communication and since that's such an important part of my job i tend to go like kind of get refreshed on that every once in a while and then the last thing i'll say is this is easily googleable pixar's 22 rules of storytelling are excellent just great resources okay the other reason the other like uh ulterior motive for asking people this is so mikey and i can get more ideas for what to podcast about so that (laughs) bookmarking quite a few of those thank you ordering books right now yeah that's that's gonna feed the rabbit hole for sure deeper we go molly that's great deeper and deeper yeah like on that note too you know rukma you strike us as a presentation thinker which like you i don't know if you've ever heard those two words together we're trying to like make it like fetch we're trying to make it happen but what does presentation thinking mean to you when I say those two words together? That's so funny. I love the Mean Girls reference. As, as you know, I'm into I'm into internet culture. <laughs> um, well, I hope you make presentation thinking happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know when I when I was thinking about this a little bit, I was like, wow we present ourselves to the world and receive presentations from other people pretty much all of the time. You don't have to be like up on stage delivering a talk to be presenting the way you come across, the way you dress, the way you walk, all of this is presentation. But it also got me thinking about the other meaning or kind of the older way people used to use presentation back in the day, which was which was a gift, like you formally gifted someone something. Um, and it made me think that a way presentation thinking to me could be just being intentional and thoughtful about what gift are you bringing to any room or interaction? You know, what gift do you want to leave your listeners with if you're delivering a talk? What gift are you bringing to your execs in a meeting? Maybe in that case, it could often be insights at your level, which they don't have visibility into because they're so much higher up. So you're always able to present something um, and thinking about it intentionally is, I think, beneficial to you to the other person in the interaction um, and just, you know, makes for, for a better like connection. Yeah. That just wow. made my day. That Beautiful. was so good. Like, that was a yeah. gift to us. Wow. Thank you. Wrapped in a neat little that. bow. Yeah. yeah. So good. <laughs> the yeah. episode. Jeez. Oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you. I love asking that question. Um, I'm throwing this one in there just because you said you were an English lit major and I'm pic- and you said you have a lot of books. So I'm picturing like oh my Beauty and the Beast Bell. I'm wondering if you have a favorite fictional, fictional character or a Disney princess even. Ooh. If, if Disney's your thing. So I love... Well, I love Disney. I know there's a lot of like reasons that the Disney princesses we grew up with were not like the world's best empowerment totally, icons or whatever, totally. but yeah. I st- like nostalgia. I still love them. Yeah. Except uh, Belle. Belle was, I would say, one of the more powerful ones. Yes. Belle is great. Um, who is my favorite? Although I will say I'll pick Elsa just because she's so mm. empowered, you know, by yeah. the end of the movie. It's about her finding herself. And then she does. And she's like, great, I'm going to embrace this amazing ice witch 
princess that I am and <laughs> more power to her. So Elsa, and it's very hard for me to pick a fact, like fictional character. It's basically impossible. Um, so <laughs> um, I'll, I'll just go with like my current favorite fictional character, um, which, you know, has changed several times, but I just read this book called Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow by Gabrielle Zevin. And there's uh, a video game producer in it called oh, wow. Marks. Marks Watanabe. Um, he's just like a lovely, like kind, interesting, articulate person. And I was like, I would love to to be friends with him. So that's, awesome. that's my Beautiful. favorite character. Love to link that stuff too. Yeah. Yeah, for real. And oh. With Elsa, you can go hang out with um Mikey's daughters. No problem. So you guys will get along right. <laughs> and she's such a badass by that big second fans. frozen two. She's just like <laughs> right? whatever she wants. She's so cool. Yeah. That's so good. How old are your daughters, Mikey? Uh four and seven. Oh yeah. yes. I am so down for Elsa parties. Okay. <laughs> I think there's been a few, yeah. right? More than one birthday oh, theme yeah. party. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Uh, Oh, gosh. Molly, we've got our last question, but one of our favorites. And this might change on the context, but let's say you've got a big, your next keynote you're giving. What's the walkout song that you're going to stroll up to the stage with? So this is not like the song that I would want playing from the speakers, but in my like years (laughs) before I enter the stage, Defying Gravity from the musical Wicked again about like, owning herself, being empowered, and doing impossible things. Oh, so you're an Idina Menzel fan. <laughs> oh my gosh. So great. Yes. I didn't, I didn't make Elsa, Elsa yeah. Yeah, Elsa, but yes. That's awesome. Uh, well, Mikey will just take it away with the soprano there because we're, uh, we used to sample <laughs> some music and now we're trying not to. I did not just <laughs> copyright reasons. Non-licensed so. stuff anymore. Oh, oh gosh. You know so what? Mikey, Since we've go got you. Last, last question. I'm not going to sing Adina Menzel. Okay. <laughs> you work for a certain company that makes a certain product that's definitely cutting into PowerPoint shares. I would say like we've just seen a ton of people switching over to G slides. Mm-hmm. Do you have any like favorite things, hot takes, like cool tips that we don't know about to, pe- <laughs> you know, everyone is switching to G slides. Do you have anything, any, anything you want to talk about on that front? Um, I would say... My favorite thing about G Slides is actually how simple it is. So to my point I was making earlier about not letting letting like the slideware dictate your story, G Slides does a great job of kind of staying out of your way um, mm-hmm. and then just kind of adapts to what you want it to be. So it's mm-hmm. a great tool for kind of that intentional story crafting. Also great um, for collaboration. So I definitely think it's like, like if you and I are working together on a deck, G Slides is fantastic. Just so mm-hmm. much thought. And I'm not on that product team, but just as a user, so much thought seems to go into yeah. creating those features that would help two people, three people, a whole team, like work together on a deck. And that's like, I think increasingly no one would would object to this, I think where work is going, right? It's hybrid, it's remote. People are in, on the East Coast and on the West Coast, different places. And I, I think it's being kind of thoughtfully designed for the future of how we're we're going to work. So mm-hmm. I obviously use it at work all the time, but I also yeah. use it in my personal, like I, I have no idea, honestly, how to use any of the other ones. That's awesome. <laughs> I would struggle. Good to know. Yeah. Yeah. It's come a long way and yeah, like we just, the adoption recently, we've just seen it just really taken over mostly 
is that like collaboration angle. It's so easy to just all jam on the same idea. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's a little yeah. more accessible for someone that yeah. isn't as used to, uh, yeah, slideware software, as you said. Too. Yeah. Sweet. Good to know. Tally one more. Yeah. Sometimes Rick Mikey my... asks that questions as team PowerPoint or team Google slides, but know. we, you know, we should want Well, we so know I don't think, I don't think I can say. The yeah. Other yeah. That's <laughs> legally. Yeah. <laughs> what? Team yellow team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Rukma, this is a blast. We know you're a very busy person. We really appreciate you joining us. Do you have any final parting shots, any words of wisdom you want us to, to leave us in our audience with? Um, well, first of all, thank you. This was so fun. This is also my last meeting this Friday and it was just yeah. so wonderful. So thank you both. Um, and I think maybe the last thing I want to leave your listeners with is if you want to chat to me or get connected. I'm Rukma. That's R-U-K-M-A-S-E-N is my last name then on LinkedIn. And I love talking about books, communications, nerding out. Um, if you are interested in any of the companies I worked at or currently work at, happy to chat. So please reach out. We'd love to connect. Perfect. Awesome. We will absolutely link that and make sure people know where to find you. We Hope we haven't seen the last of you, obviously. I'm sure we'll run into each other at some kind of summit soon enough here, and then we'll find a new excuse to have you back on the podcast. So thank you. So <laughs> no, much I would love fun. to. If, you, if either of you are in the Bay Area, please step me up. Yeah. would love awesome. to. Awesome. We'll do. Awesome. We'll do. All right. We'll have a great weekend. And everybody listening still, yeah, keep on pitching. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time. 